the simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Lynn Carson with a PhD in grain sciences. Sharing knowledge and helping you grow connections. Listening to the Baked in Science podcast. Welcome to Baked in Science, where I try my best to solve as many challenging baking problems in the world as I possibly can. Hi, I'm your host Lynn Carson, the CEO of Bakerpedia. What is Bakerpedia? It's the world's largest online depository of technical baking information. And today on Baked in Science, our topic is about clean label baking and sourdough. Why sourdough? Because I believe sourdough systems are in fact cleaner systems. And our interview with George and David today will reinforce my beliefs. Before we start, I need to do a shout out for our sponsors. This episode is brought to you in part by Pirados. Pirados offers a range of cleaner label products and expertise for customers in the bakery, patisserie, and chocolate sectors. For more information, check them out at puratos.us or call them today at 856-428-4300. Hi listeners, I'm here today at Essential Baking Company with Josh Deepaskelling. Is that right? No. Did I butcher your name? I'm so sorry I butchered your name. Yeah, it's okay, it's Deepasquale, but it was pretty close. Okay, uh, George, you have uh, been here for over 30 years, is that right? Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about what you do? I'm a baker. That's, okay. that's, we know you're that, a baker. That's what I do. Um, well, nowadays, I'm involved mostly in R&D and process improvement. That's what I do. Um, so I watch what's going on out there, try to make things better, try to develop new products when they, when we need them. And we just talked all day long about, you know, uh, ESL systems and stuff like that. <laughs> ESL systems, as you guys may know, is um, what you use to extend your shelf life. It's extended shelf life, ESL systems. And George, this is a little bit different um, concept here at Essential that I've noticed. Um, thank you for inviting me, by the way. Oh, I really enjoyed coming. my trip here. Yeah, great. Um, what is your vision? Uh, what is Essential's vision for um, its uh, business practices? Well, um, in terms of the ingredients and stuff like that, I mean, we st when we started, we were 100% organic. So our initial vision was to stay 100% organic products. Um, We've expanded that mostly through because of customer demand uh, to include conventional products. So now we do we do both. Um, and in any case, we try to be as clean as possible. So we keep try to keep as clean a label as possible. And we've had discussion between you and me um, uh, on certain things like monoglycerides, um, SSL datum and you seem to be really apprehensive about using these ingredients why well for two reasons one is that I like working with simple ingredients and I like I'm addicted really to the to the process to the fermentation process so I'd like to try to not use as much um, crutches and stay as close to the traditional processes as possible um, that said there are definitely advantages to bulletproofing the process a little bit you right know? you you mentioned sourdough right here and that piqued my interest 
why sourdough and how do you think that helps your process versus using all these um, chemical well it helps in a ton products. of ways the the why really is because it's a lot of fun that's the main reason it's just fun it's just fun to make sourdough I've never heard anyone say that before it, okay. it just is alright and I, like I said I love the process I love fermentation but also there are advantages it's um, there is extended shelf life um, the product does not mold ever you know so, I know uh, right, yeah so. you mentioned your pH was really low today and the, the pH was 4.1 today which is nothing's gonna mold that's super low I don't nothing will that's live in that that's clean right there Exactly. You right. don't use anything. Exactly. So the, the, it does stay for a long time. There's also advantages in terms of digestion, like we talked about. Okay. Um, and so it does is easier to digest. We've done studies in house where we all uh, took our own blood oh, samples. Oh no, really? <laughs> yeah, exactly. To do the glucose, you know, and uh, oh, and really? w- with a not sourdough, you spike just as if you eat sugar. And with a sourdough, you still spike a little, but it's but it's much much less so it's actually much healthier i think i know know, it's pretty weird so so what makes you so passionate about sourdough other than that i mean it's just was that how you were taught or no i just am like it really is i love the effect of fermentation i'm basically i make sourdough the fermentation guy (laughs) exactly (laughs) i make sourdough at home you know i mean i'm sorry i make sauerkraut at home and pickles and other stuff like that too so you like uh, to use bacteria i do i work for you love this uh concept yeah. Right, so, and you are one of the fewest bakeries I've ever met that actually don't use yeast in one of their products. Why? Yeah, there's, so we have a lot of products that are just uh, literally three ingredients, flour, water, and salt. Um, How long it. does it take to make a bread out of flour, water, and salt on a wholesale level? Um, <laughs> yeah, well, the whole process, and I'm also, you know, I don't really like retarding bread either, you know, but although we are starting to get into that a little bit. Yeah, I much pref- sweeter, right? Yeah, so yeah. I much prefer the, the, the to do it start to finish in one process, you know. Yeah. Um, I think the bread quality is a lot nicer that way. Um, and so in that case, you know, you start the starters, they can be 12 to 14 hours old, and then the dough itself can, after that, can take another six six hours after that plus all the processing and wow. time, then the yeah. two-hour proof, you know, yeah. so it takes a while. So a day, pretty much. Pretty much all day long, yeah. yeah. You know, you can't even do it, like you have to stay up if you're going to do it at home. It's oh not. Oh, my gosh. So is, that, is it worth it, though? Absolutely. Yeah? <laughs> well, I tasted your um, top seller, yeah, the, the rosemary. The rosemary oh diamante, yeah. Yeah, that was really good. The sour's Thank really you. Good. Thank you. Yeah, and the Christmas. What do you think costs the Christmas? Well, the sourdough, too. Uh, the acids in the because of the sourdough do contribute to the Christmas, I think, as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the biggest attributes I see in that particular loaf is how crispy it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you tell our listeners, um, especially for those that don't live here in the Northwest, um, what product makes you stand out from the rest of the baking industry? Wow, what a great question. Um, well, we have, like, in terms of products, our biggest seller is the Rosemary Diamante that you had, and mm-hmm. that's kind of a, our signature loaf. It's kind of my opus, really. Um, Absolutely good. Thank you. You use fresh rosemary, too. Uh, fresh rosemary, <laughs> which, amazing. you know, is takes, we have a person doing exactly. nothing but shucking right. rosemary I all day long. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, she amazing. works eight hours a day doing that. Oh, my God. 
Um, but I do think that our sours, we've developed them so carefully over the years, we really have a unique flavor too. And um, I've always wondered about microbial terroir, and I think that might be something we could talk about later at some future date. But um, I really thought I proved that to myself when we tried to open a bakery in Portland, and we brought the sours from here to Portland. And no matter what I did, I couldn't get them to taste the same. They changed. They changed. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think it's the microflora. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Sure. So it definitely changes. It adapts, and it I think our little culture, our little city of uh, microbes out there, are really adapted to what we do, and it's really consistent and tastes the same all the time. It's uh, so I think we have a very unique flavor. Now you have a really unique product with that matte packaging. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell listeners uh, where where do you sell it and? Sure. What, we, what, what does it do so well? We, we sell it nationwide, actually. Um, right. We do, yeah. Okay. And we've even, you know, we've sold a little bit uh, to China and a little bit to Canada, a little bit to Mexico. What's the shelf life on that? 180 days. Wow. Um, but, you know, and it, it does need to be, you know, uh, refreshed. In the, right, in it's, the, a, uh, it's a take-and-bake product. It's take-and-bake, yeah. sourdough-based. Right, so sourdough. the pH really helps with the shelf life. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and... Where can people find this product? Uh, it's kind of everywhere. It, locally, where we deliver uh, to the stores directly in our trucks, uh, it's in every account that will take it. So okay. pretty much all the grocery stores. It's also at Costco locally. And um, on kind of a rotating basis, Costco's in around the country as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah, my brother was uh, freaked out when he saw a loaf of our bread in Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> Sent me a picture. What? What the heck? Um, uh, and then, uh, like I said, Canada. So that's more. That's more regional, more sporadic, and kind of quarter by quarter, kind of. You know. Okay. Well, um, I really think that that product's going to get blown out of the water. You I know? hope so. And um, good luck on that because I think it is truly an innovation that I have not seen yet. Yeah, thanks. We worked um, really hard on it. And, and it's hard to do, especially with a clean label. And there's, yeah, it's, it's clean label <laughs> and there's a couple of tweaks that I can't tell you what they are. But it we, doesn't matter. Yeah, but we, there, there's a unique process there that helps us get that shelf life. So you launched that about a couple of years ago? Uh, we launched it like five years ago. It's um, been doing really well. And it's done pretty well and it's been a long, it takes a while for people understand what to do with a bread that comes in a box you know but um, yeah that's true uh, so there's a bit of education yeah but other people I mean to like it. if you want to have really good fresh artisan bread at home on demand yeah exactly you know? <laughs> that, well that's that's what it is it's like you can put it in your pantry yeah exactly. and then when guests come over you pop it in the oven and yeah. you have a hot fresh loaf of bread there that just tastes so awesome i can you know? see many uses for it, including the army and in space and where you know there my you goal go. is to take it on the put it on the space station that's there like, you go <laughs> i really want that to happen you just need to make it crumbless <laughs> yeah that is it, the issue the i crumbs. suppose that's true yeah right right <laughs> But yeah, no, we're getting interest from institutions as well, hospitals awesome. and such. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Um, so back to clean, since this podcast is about uh, clean label systems, um, are you seeing a trend on your side as a baker on uh, on where this clean label is going? Is your customer asking for it? Uh, the customers have always asked it of us, for okay. sure, you know, and um, very particular Seattle, as in Portland, uh, people are really conscious of what they read on the label, and if they don't understand what the ingredient is, they won't buy it. So, um, so that's 
not the only reason that we stay clean, but we want we want people to understand, be able to understand what's in the what's in the product, you know. That's and true. so we get a lot of pushback about that. And yeah. in some cases, it's pretty tough. In bread, it's pretty easy because there's just a few ingredients. But in pastry, it's pretty challenging. That's know? true. Yeah, that's a lot of uh, uh, yeah shelf life extension. Yeah, chemicals yeah, and, and right, exactly, right. And, and you guys do quite a good amount of pastries as well. We do. Yeah, we have a lot of skews. We do a lot of have a pretty diverse pastry line. Right. How many skews do you have now? Oh, it's two hundred or so. <laughs> 200 skews, oh my gosh, that's a lot of handle. Um, So when you look up to clean something, what is your biggest challenge? Uh, Well, it depends, you know, in uh, in bread, the yeast has to be clean, so you know, there's, and it has to be, uh, what's coming up more and more now in terms of the yeast is not only is the yeast clean, but what happened before that? Where did the yeast come from? What was what was the medium it was grown in, and all of that, especially for organic. So it keeps getting pushed further and further back the, the process. Um, in pastry, where we use a lot of other like fillings and stuff like that, you know, uh, icings and you know colors mm-hmm. are uh, one that really sticks out for me. It's really hard to get red that's clean. Um, in icing, you know, or food coloring. Um, and then also the jams and jellies and stuff like that that we use as well. Industry's been used to using like, all kinds of chemicals for a really long time and are just learning to work with clean uh, ingredients to preserve the shelf life of those products. So we get a lot of pushback from our customers to extend the shelf life, and in fact, more and more so. So it used to be that the grocery stores were fine with a one-day shelf life if we were willing to clear out the bread every day. And so the bread could be very clean in that case because I don't have to worry about shelf life. But now that the stores are demanding five, six, seven days on the shelf, I have to do something about that. Sourdough is not enough because the starch retrogradation will still present a stale loaf of bread. So I have to learn to use enzymes and other stuff. So the questions I have for you are, um, how do I use the enzymes in place of mono and diglycerides and other emulsifiers that are less clean? Right. So um, we did discuss just now that (coughs) mono and diglycerides are one of the best emulsifiers in the market um, to extend the softness of the product. Unfortunately, um, items like that um, are not welcomed by consumer groups. And um, especially in, in cleaner dough systems like sourdough, you really want to keep the label as clean as possible. Right, right. Um, and you have to rely on MLAs for that. So if you go to Bigopedia, you can find um, what is MLAs, A-M-Y-L-A-M-Y. L-A-S-E. Right. So amylase is an enzyme that targets amylose. Um, basically, it goes into, um, the, it, it gets applied at the mixer and it works in the dough system somewhere between the proofer and, and the oven. So when you use uh, uh, an ESL system with amylase, you're going to help soften up that crumb. Right. Um, but it doesn't do anything for sliceability, which mono and diglycerides do. You know, um, and, but basically all ESL systems would have MLAs, mm-hmm. and you'd really need that to extend the shelf life a few more days after 
it's it's on the store shelf. Um, it it is a very safe enzyme to use. It basically gets denatured or killed at the baking temperatures, and we usually bake above you know two hundred degrees Fahrenheit. So there should be no concern whatsoever in terms of using amylase and enzymes for for ESL solutions. Um, you cannot buy amylase yourself. Like you cannot buy that because it's a very concentrated form. Mm-hmm. So usually you need to get get it from an ingredient solution provider, uh, and then they dilute it for you. And most of the time, they use that with um, other uh, uh, fillers or right, some sort of carrier flour. for that. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. flour to dilute it so that you can dose it properly at the right. mixer. Right. But definitely, I would encourage you to look at some form of ESL system mm-hmm. that's natural that you that is amylase based. Um, to help you with your shelf life issues Great. and to focus on clean. And we don't really have to, as I said earlier, we don't really have to worry about mold too much, which is a really yeah. good uh, plus for us because then you're not into fermentates and all these other things that kind right. of flavor the bread and color the bread and pretty right. um, alter right. it or alters the product a little bit. Right. Yeah. Um, another thing to look at too uh, in terms of clean is also one suggestion I had for you today was to look at the thermal profiles. Right. You know, to make sure that um, you don't bake up too much water. So when you log your thermal profiles, you see it's journeying through the oven. Yeah. And you can find, listeners, you can find more information on thermal profiling in, in Wikipedia as well. Just type in the word thermal profiling. And you will see in uh, recommendations for crumb set zones, for gelatinization zones, and for yeast kill zones. So use those guidelines to help you set your oven. Um, a couple of times today, we saw in your ovens, George, that you were over baking the bread. Yeah, it was really eye-opening. It was I didn't realize how how helpful that profile was. Right. So you, at one point, you were over baking it at sixty percent, and yeah, when yeah. we manipulated the graph, we shaved off at least five minutes of. Yeah, so you can get. And uh, also the uh, oven temperature too. So there's some opportunities there to uh, increase oven temperature, reduce the bake time, preserve some of the water in the product, right. and still get a nice crispy crust. Right. You know. So when you bake out too much water, um, you just basically deprive the entire system right. of water. It doesn't matter how much ESL you use; right. that thing's still gonna harden up. Yeah. Right. So, right. <laughs> I feel like if you use two methods of approaching this problem, I think you'll get a softer product with a longer shelf life, basically. Uh, Another question, though, that I was really fascinated with was your research about um, protein and its relation to crispiness of the crust. And that was something I hadn't known before. So that really opens up a lot to exploring. You can manipulate the protein uh, to get a crispier crust and still have the ESL system working for you. Right. And I think um, part of that um, concern coming from George was if he were to use an EL system, ESL system, that it would affect the crispiness of the crust. Yeah. And based on the research that I've done in the past, um, most crispy tones and texture comes from protein-based products. And um, the higher the protein uh, or the higher the gluten content within a flour or a dough, the more crispy the product is going to be. So um, that's a huge correlation between um, pork rinds and how crispy it is, right? 
Uh, um, and uh, so when you put ESL products, crumb softening products in a product, uh, in, your, in your dual bread system, uh, I believe that it is not going to affect your crispiness of the bread. So that's, that's where the discussion came. Yeah. And why. <laughs> so to, re to reiterate that, I think that um, you should move forward and not be um, concerned by other kinds of um, textural attributes coming from the bread, especially when you use a, an ESL system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and try the different ESL systems you know, at hand and see which one works well. For yeah, and, and as long as those are clean, uh, it fits into our, our model. You know, as long as the, the ESL system that we're using is clean to begin with, there's, I don't see anything wrong with putting enzymes on the label or whatever. That's know? true, you know? that's true. Um, are there any more questions I can answer today? <laughs> uh, I think we're running behind things. So. <laughs> oh, we're good. All right. So thank you for joining me today, George. Yeah, thanks for having me, and thanks yeah. for coming up here. It's been uh, a really you, you great day. You are going to load me up with bread, right? I am going to load you up. With bread. <laughs> I'm asking for bread. All right, thank you. Okay, you're welcome. We take a break to thank Saranda for sponsoring this episode. Stay on trend with Saranda's clean, label organic non-GMO and gluten-free ingredients, including flours, starches, sweeteners, cocoa, coconut oils, and lecithin. Over half of Saranda's ingredients are offered as fair trade certified. This makes an impact not only in your bakery products, but for farmers around the world. Learn more at CIRANDA.com or contact them at 715-386-1737. So here we are, listeners. Uh, we are talking to David DeBlau from Parados USA. He is a sourdough specialist. And uh, before we start, I want our listeners to know, David, what kind of a baker are you? I'm a passionate baker. I started... Well, at the age of 12, uh, with baking in a small bakery uh, just around the corner of my parents. And then I finished bakery school in Belgium and then started working at Parados. And that's where for the first time I met, uh, I met sourdough in real life because okay. we had a sourdough there that we maintained already since 89 right. that we were making a, a true San Francisco sourdough bread with. So that's where our first time saw a real sourdough. And then a couple of years later, I got really in touch with it uh, through uh, a changing career, right. and now I'm responsible for our sourdough business for North America. Now, why is Parados so passionate about sourdough that they have a sourdough library? Well, there are a couple of reasons why uh, we are passionate about sourdough, because we believe that the future of bread lies in its past, and okay. 5,000 years ago, the first sourdough was by accident uh, discovered uh, in Egypt, and uh, as such, it is the oldest way of leavening, leavening bread. Right. And uh, if you see the whole tendencies in uh, baking, that people go back to slow proof, yeah. long fermentation times using sourdough again, I think that we made the right decision to, uh, to look at that with uh, the future of bread lies in its past. Right, so Parados has um, a lot of history in that. What makes you interested in focusing on this area? Do, do you have any kind of formal training or education to make you a sourdough baker? Or is it all just hands-on, pass-me-down information? 
It is mainly hands-on, pass-me-down information. Uh, we have uh, a very passionate team at Paratos mm -hmm. who is working around sourdoughs. Um, I think the longevity in the team, I think we are around 22 years uh, of sourdough experience per individual. And we've been doing it for a long, long time. We have more than 30 years of experience with sourdoughs. We're producing mm -hmm. now into uh, six different plants uh, globally, and we are further further expanding. So I can say that we are truly uh, uh, a sourdough expert as Paratos. So. Awesome. So let's put Paratos aside, right? And let's get on a personal level on being a baker passionate about sourdough. Um, if I were to make sourdough at home which I did in the past and not very successfully because you need to have patience you need to have discipline and regularity um, but to our listeners listening in right now who wants to understand the science of sourdough um, what is your suggestion to them how to start a sourdough at home where's the first place to start well there are different ways to start your sourdough at home and the most traditional way would be that you take one part of water, one part of flour, by preference a rye flour or whole wheat flour. Mm -hmm. uh, you blend it together, you let it sit there for two days, and you hope that nature will do its work. Right. Uh, so there is a portion of luck involved, and that it will start, <laughs> and that it will start bubbling. <laughs> and then when you see that it starts bubbling, you're mm -hmm. good. Uh, if not, you have to start over again, and mm -hmm. then you just take every day a part of uh, your sourdough. You add flour and water again and you keep feeding it. Right. So that is one way and where you just take flour and water. The other way you can take, you can inoculate it uh, by using, for example, fruits. Right. Uh, I've, seen, I've seen formulas with raisin juice and yeah. some whole wheat flour or rye flour. Yeah. How are those better? Well, because the fruits, it's, I think about wine. Yeah. Wine is made out of grapes and if you start squeezing grapes, they will start a natural fermentation. Correct. So you have a lot of um, microorganisms, wild yeast, lactic acid bacteria, on a lot of fruits, yeah? and as such, they will contribute to the fermentation immediately. You don't have to wait for the natural spores which are present on the flower or in the air mm -hmm. uh, to start your fermentation because you bring them in already in a more controlled way. And you see now a very big a movement of going to yeast waters uh, uh, to start your sourdough where people basically take flour uh, sorry take water a piece of fruit a little bit of sugar they let it ferment for four days once it starts to become fizzy they will use that to oh. to make their sourdough and this is not a new way this is a very old way okay. of uh, trapping yeasts yeah and people back in the days they knew that around these fruits that they would have these microorganisms, if they were using rose petals, that they would have this fl <laughs> flavor profile. And this that's is neat. what makes it, yeah. that's what makes it interesting around sourdough, that you can have that diversity there. Right. Whereas with traditional commercial baker's yeast, you only yeah. have you only yeah. have one. You're right, that's it. correct. That's it. Now, um, do most sourdough bakers um, use sourdough as a levain, as a natural uh, leavening agent, or do they still add yeast to it? If you have time and patience, you can make it only with your sourdough. And this is what I do every weekend. At so home. the fermentation is from the bacteria? Yes. Okay. Yes. You, you How can, long will that take? You will, need, you will need at least 12 to 14 to 18 hours. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. And that's where, of course, then for 
people who don't have that time, who don't have that patience, Lynn. You can add a little like bit me. of yeast. You can add a little like bit me, of Like me, I'll yeast. put a bunch of yeast in there. Yes, yes. And you will still have a sourdough bread, but it will go a little bit, a little bit. Now, faster. if it takes like 48 hours to make that all naturally leavened sour, wouldn't it be really sour? It all depends on how you, how you treat it. Uh, if you're sourdough, if you keep it in a warm spot in your house mm-hmm. above your uh, your vents and so on mm-hmm. where it's nice and warm yeah it will have a very mild taste oh and that's something that a lot of people think about when when about sourdough that always has to taste sour uh-huh. it has not it doesn't have to taste sour at all it's just the way that you treat your sourdough uh-huh do you think there is a difference if i ferment the sourdough at a cooler temperature versus a warmer temperature Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, if you make a cold sourdough, it will have much more of an acidic flavor profile, much more zesty. It will bite you more on Why? the tongue. Because of the acetic acid, acetic acid is easier formed at uh, lower so temperatures. So colder temperature, more acidic acid. Yes. Warmer temperature, more? More lactic acid. Okay. More lactic acid. And that's what you see, for example, in France, that a lot of bakers, they are using a sourdough, but it doesn't really taste sour because they are fermenting it uh-huh. at a higher temperature. Uh-huh. I've always had a problem because my sours, I didn't find it was sour enough, so... More cooler ferment than to produce yes, acidic. Yes, and stiffer and a stiffer sourdough as well. Oh, really? Yeah, if you make a stiff sourdough, it will have much more of a zesty, zesty taste as well. Oh, I didn't know that. That's a great, great tip. Um, so, what are the top three rules you have for sourdough making? Um, control your time and temperature. That's the one thing that you have to that you have to do. Uh-huh. Control time and temperature. Why is that important? For your flavor profile. Okay. I have at home my sourdough. It's called cambio, which is Italian for change. Oh. Yeah. But <laughs> you name your sourdough. That's interesting. I, I name my sourdough, <laughs> indeed. I, na- I name my sourdough. I don't know. Was that important to you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, but but it's, I called it cambio. I called it change because I wanted to change it. Uh, yes. Okay. And by playing with time and temperature, I can change already in one way my sourdough. Yeah. Okay. The other thing that you have to control well is your raw materials. Yeah. Um, traditionally, bakers, they would use whatever flour to make their sourdough. But if you make, um, if you want to have a really zesty sourdough or more pungent sourdough, you're better off with using a whole wheat flour or a rye flour, for example. Oh, no wonder. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you okay. see already time and temperature and then your raw materials. Right. And then the last tip is, uh, and that's what uh, your challenge was. You have to, you have to have patience and discipline. Eh? <laughs> I always tell to people that uh, making sourdough, it's like uh, it's like your marriage. Eh? It's a commitment. <laughs> eh? You have to start it and you have to keep working on it. Eh? That that is very true. And I've spoiled a lot of sourdough. What is the main reason for spoiling sourdoughs? Well, not the discipline, of course. That you're. Oh. Uh, that's Some, true. Sometimes you let it you let it sit for too long. <laughs> too long. Sometimes you're not sitting it long long enough. And yes, you can have a rotten a rotten sourdough so as can well. You, can you save the rotten sourdough? You can save it in a little bit. Um, there is there is uh, this uh, thing which is called washing a sourdough. Oh, I don't want to hear about that. That sounds. Where, that where, sounds terrible. Wow, well, where you basically you blend in enough flour to really make it into a stiff, stiff dough. Uh-huh. Yeah? Then you make it into a batard, you cut it, up, cut it up into slices, and you basically put it into a water bath. 
and you will basically remove a lot of the acids while maintaining still the microorganisms in your sourdough and then you can refresh it oh. you can feed it again with flour and water and it will have that mild sour flavor again that you're looking for um, and you know, some of the times we feed our sourdough, there's really this weird water on top. What's that weird water on top? It's called the hooch. Okay, that sounds awful. What is it? Well, it's basically separation of the, the, fl of the flour versus Don't the water. Don't you think the bacteria needs it? Why is it separating? <laughs> Well, yes, because it's uh, the the physics uh, is the law of physics. Eh? That something heavier will uh, will sediment, but don't throw it out because a lot of people think that because it has yeah, that it strange, looks ugly, grayish, I'll brownish it, throw it out. <laughs> color. No, don't. Just mix it in. Just mix it in again and uh, start uh, refreshing your refreshing your sourdough. Does does that indicate it's time to refresh the sourdough? Not really. It is more uh, an indication that you don't have the right consistency to keep everything into under ah. control. And also, if you if you ferment it for too much, okay, you will degrade much of the protein. Probably because it breaks down and releases yes. the water. Yes. Okay, yes. that makes sense. Yes, indeed. Um, what tips do you have for regular feeding? What if I can't feed it regularly? Is there any like tricks you have? Well, so. I take my case, I'm, uh, I'm baking every weekend with my sourdough, but during the week I'm traveling. Right. So there is nothing wrong with that. Um, I keep my sourdough in the fridge, yeah, just in a, in a mason jar. Right. And then on Friday evening I take it out, I refresh it uh -huh. with flour and water. Uh -huh. And on Saturday I can start uh, making uh, my sourdough bread. So if you leave it out? You had to feed it every day, but if you leave it in the fridge, yes. you can go a few days without feeding. I've been even up to uh, up to three months okay. with leaving my sourdough in the fridge. Yeah. I've done that before. I killed it. <laughs> yeah, you thought you killed it, but I'm. I, there is a way that you can add CPR to it well, and make it live again. I guess I'm not again. that passionate about my sourdough. I didn't name it. <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, so I killed it. Yeah. You don't um, have to kill it. So in that aspect, do you produce more acidic acid if you do it that way? Like if you leave it in the fridge? Um, no, because no, not really, not okay. really. Because not that part of the fermentation. Not that building part. Up. Not that part of the fermentation because you put everything dormant. Uh, you will have you will have little fermentation when you put it in the fridge. Yeah. It happens when you take it out of the fridge and uh, out of the fridge and you do your uh, refreshment. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's let's take it to the industrial scale. Mm. How can our listeners who are commercial bakers be successful at making sourdough at the industrial scale level? Well, making sourdough at an industrial scale is not that much different than me baking it at home. It is just in larger tanks. Right. Um, and more and discipline and more control. <laughs> and probably it will be better. They will have more discipline and better control because... Ideally, you would work with uh, uh, double-jacketed uh, fermentation tanks that you can control the time, that you can control the temperature, that you can control the agitation. So on industrial le level, they would be able to do it in a better way than what I'm doing at home. Yeah. So they have already that advantage. Unfortunately, 
yeah, you also have to uh, have a very strict regime and know how much sourdough you need to produce. Because right. if you pr if I make my sourdough today, I can only use it tomorrow. So I need to know exactly how much product right. I will make tomorrow. And usually, what's that? Is that, is that same timeline? Twelve to yes. twenty four hours of yes. fermenting. Yes. That is a long time to plan. Like no last minute injection of hey, I'm gonna need you know. Yes. A thousand more loaves of this sourdough. It has to be planned like a few days in advance. Yeah, indeed, right? indeed, and that's that's a challenge that's a for that's that's a challenge for bakers. Another challenge is then, of course, the whole sanitation part. Why? Uh, because you can have exactly what you were having. You could uh, have spoilage uh, because if you work with open fermentation tanks or you which don't, which is usually the case. Yeah. yeah, people stick their hands in and. Things fall in there. <laughs> Things fall in there that you don't want to have in there. And uh, most of the times, uh, the people that are working in the bakery, they don't have that respect sometimes for that sourdough because they need to have skilled skilled labor and so on. So there is a little bit of a disconnect sometimes there with uh, on industrial level between the people and the product. So right. it is important to... to I, to keep that passion also at the at industrial level for uh, sourdough. That's bread. true, but one of the upsides of um, making sourdough at the industrial level is the product quality and the image of the product, right? Don't um, sourdoughs last and have a longer shelf life? Yes, they will have a longer shelf life just by the nature of using a sourdough. Um, there is this some of the myths that sourdoughs they will outlast the the new enzyme technologies oh, but really? i don't think i don't believe in that i still think <laughs> that the new enzyme technologies they will out outperform any natural freshness that comes out of a sourdough right. but then on the other hand a sourdough do you want to have a sourdough bread which has that very artisan rustic story around that as well do you want to have a sourdough bread that is 21 days old i don't think so <laughs> so do you need it no but you will have a little bit more freshness with the with the sourdough right, i've i've made sourdough before and it lasted like a month like no mold um can you explain why there's well, no mold on sourdough uh, probably because your sourdough bread was very acid it had a very it had a very low so pretty much it provides an environment where the mold would grow yeah. yeah so and if you have a low ph if you have a low ph it it is not a favorable situation for uh for spoilage so for most industrial bakers do they still need to use preservatives when they make their industrial sourdough breads Based on, on, on my experience, they will not use preservatives because they want to keep that healthy, yeah. natural image of a sourdough I, bread. I, I really still love that sourdough, you know, um, uh, branding of artisan and all natural. And some bakeries do that. And, and I hope to see more bakeries out there like that. Um, but for those that do not have space, because we know, that sourdough takes up a lot of space. Yeah. Like, you know, a few vats in a big room. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I'm sure you have uh, looked into ready solutions for, for sourdough skews. Well, there are ready to use solutions uh, out there. Mm -hmm. um, the most of the product that you would see is either in a dried form or in a liquid form. Yeah. And then with the dried form, 
it is not a true sourdough mm -hmm. uh, because you have removed all of the uh, all of the water bacteria. all of the bacteria yeah. you've killed them off but it is a very convenient way to to keep a product and how much percent baker's percent do you, you use would that? use that traditionally between oh, between two to eight percent on okay. uh, on flour weight okay. yeah and that will only contribute and at that moment only for taste oh you know? i see okay because it will not have any functionality anymore yeah right how about on the other side the liquid ones well on the liquid on the liquid ones there will be much more complex because you still have a lot of the flavor components that are that are being kept into the product usage levels there they will vary as well between between 2 to 15 20 25 percent wow yeah but it will be a much more complex flavor profile. right but i'm a little concerned about that because as a baker that to me that seems to add a lot of cost what is the upside of doing that um if you're using a ready-to-use solution you know exactly how much your ingredient cost is correct yeah because not a lot of bakers know what the exact cost is of producing a sourdough yeah that is one thing. Secondly, it's the consistent quality as well. And That's true. Like we mentioned earlier. Like you're gonna go, you, you know what you're going to expect. You That's know what you're going to expect. Right. And you basically leave it up to the supplier. Uh, the responsibility to provide a consistent product is up to your vendor, is up to your supplier. It's not up to you anymore in your bakery. Correct. So you basically push the responsibility a little bit further up the chain. Yeah. Right. The the third thing, the third thing as well, it's uh, much much easier to handle in production as well. It doesn't take up all of the space, and you can basically use the space to put in equipment that is generating much more value for your bakery rather than making a sourdough installation. And it's not because you're not making the sourdough yourself that you're not can that you cannot communicate about it. It still has a very noble and healthy image. Um, one of the things, nevertheless, that we see with bakers that are producing sourdough um, is they still have challenges on conveying the message towards consumers. Yeah? Okay. Because sourdough has that connotation that it has to taste sour. And that's right. why you see that some companies, they are going much more forwarding around slow proof long fermentation ah. there are even bakers that call out the number of hours that their dough has fermented really to bring that connotation of time and as such also flavor into uh, into their product okay any last tips for industrial bakers who want to look at sourdough as their next product offering it is truly the next the next thing within within baking. Mm -hmm. I think um, we at Paratos, we've uh, launched an initiative which is called the Quest for Sourdough, where we are asking people to register their sourdough online and where we discover really the next few, the next things into, into sourdough fermentation. Uh, there is one guy out of India who started his sourdough based on green coffee beans. Well, there might well there might be something there might be something in there. Um, with the sourdough library, we discovered uh, a microorganism, um, and if we come in two different sourdoughs, and if we compare the two sourdoughs, they are 
held at bakeries which are at the same altitude. So mm -hmm. maybe there is something in there as well. I think we are just at the tip of the iceberg with, uh, with regards to sourdough. And that's why we keep investing on our side as well into further discovering discovering right. all of the beauty of sourdough and that's why i see you just overflowing whenever you talk about you know your emotions are just overflowing whenever you talk about sourdough um, perhaps the listeners can't see this but david is all about teaching the traits and sharing the knowledge in sourdough so if you are interested in learning more about the science of sourdough sign up for this class on our website and we'll see you um, in Portland and we'll share more tips about how to bake sourdough on the industrial scale. Thank you, David, for stopping by. You're welcome, Lynn. Well, I hope you have a great time here at Baking Tech. I certainly will have. One last shout out to Pirados. Pirados research shows one out of every four consumers fear that food will become less natural by the year 2025. Yes, you heard that right. It's time now to look at natural and clean label solutions. The Parados Corporation offers an innovative range of cleaner label products and expertise for customers in the bakery, patisserie, and chocolate sectors. But above all, they aim to be reliable partners in food innovation across the country to help their customers deliver nutritious, tasty food to their local communities. For more information, check out Parados.us, that is P-U-R-A-T-O-S dot U-S, or call 856-428-4300. One more thing, before we end, please like, comment, or subscribe to Baked in Science. Until the next episode, you can do it. You can bake it clean. Mm -hmm.